The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. And again, welcome to All Saints. Happy New Year. When I was getting ready this morning, I looked on my phone at the feels-like temperature of 13 degrees, and I was tempted to look for liturgical long johns, but I resisted the temptation. Today, the ninth day and second Sunday of Christmas, welcome to our online toasty warm friends as well. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Would you make my words and the meditation of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ah, 2021 is behind us. Aren't you glad? Promise and hope of a new year. And yet it wasn't long in 2021 when we started saying that 2020 turned 21 and started drinking because there were all sorts of circumstances that we wouldn't choose. Snowpocalypse, or as I call it, snowvid, and inflation that is worse than uh, it has been since I was in a choir singing as a soprano. And we realize COVID's not moving on, it's morphing on. Delta to Omicron, what will Omega look like? When will it end? Our context today is not unlike the context in which the Apostle John writes his gospel. It's the latest of the gospels, probably in the mid-60s AD. And we have a hint to that because chapter 5 verse 2 says there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool with five roofed colonnades and it was 70 AD that Jerusalem was leveled by the Romans so he had to have written before then 
and 64 AD was when Rome was burned and Emperor Nero blamed the Christians. So there was all sorts of tension going on in the context of John's gospel. Tensions with Jews and Christians, especially in Jerusalem. And Jesus hadn't returned for over 30 years. They had expected him to return already. So John had the perspective with his gospel to start out with what we need to know. We need to know that real life is found beyond the circumstances of this world. The way John begins his gospel is as if he was responding to a question. When will this trial end so we can go on living? When will real life begin? You may have heard of the Baptist pastor and the Methodist minister and the Jewish rabbi discussing when life begins. The Baptist pastor says, well, life begins at conception. The Methodist minister says, no, life begins when the child is born and takes its first breath. And the Jewish rabbi says, no, you're both wrong. Life begins when the kids are educated and out of the house and the dog dies. Now put me down for theological and canine reasons with the Baptist pastor. But the point is that we all have an idea of how life should be, and we want to get past something in order to get on with life. Mark Twain said the ideal life is good friends, good books, and a sleepy conscience. Groucho Marx said the secret of life is honesty and fair dealing. If you can fake that, you've got it made. (laughs) John the Apostle says the secret to life is much more fundamental than that and much farther back than that. So two points this morning. Real life and transformed life. We start in verse 1 of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Now there's more here on the Word than I can touch on this morning. As we read through, we realize verse 1, the word is divine, eternal, without beginning, verse 2. Verse 3, uncreated. Verses 3 and 4, the source of all life. But John chooses an unusual word that our English translations translate as word. Why did he choose this Greek word, logos? Because there are other Greek words for what we think of as a word. But he was capturing a notion in the ancient Near East. The Greek philosophers of generations before had come up with this idea of logos by observing nature and its balance and order and harmony. They assumed that there must be a cosmic principle and power and structure and purpose and reason behind it. A logic, which is where we get our English word logic from, from logos. And their idea was if we align ourselves with this ultimate reality, then life will go well. And if we don't align ourselves with it, life will not go well. It's into this Greco-Roman thinking that John writes his gospel. And he delivers a bomb. The bomb is, well, you're right, Greek philosophers, to a point, but logos is not a principle to live by It's a person. He's a person to know. 
He's a person who, verse 14, has become flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Merry Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. Good news. The good news that the ultimate reality of life, this light has come to us, has come to us who are in darkness. For this ultimate reality of life is not our reality of life. The life of Genesis 1 and 2 has come into our fallen, broken world. Downstream from Genesis 3, instead of spiritual life, there's spiritual death in our world. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, an interesting Greek word translated overcome. It's a very ambiguous word. It means not only hasn't mastered it, but hasn't understood it. The darkness hasn't comprehended or recognized or received this light. The Bible uses lots of ways to convey this spiritual darkness. It talks of us being blind and deaf. We're designed to be children of God for abundant life, but we're born downstream as children of Adam into a broken life. Romans 3, all of us have sinned. Romans 6, the wages of, those sin, of that sin is death. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, the problem is it's already happened to all of us. Fish don't know a world without water, and we fallen humans don't know a world without sin. Last week, we were up with our family in North Texas, and I got to hold uh, the newest member of our family. Our niece, Annie, has a 12-week-old son named Pascal. And as I was holding him, uh, being the family theologian in residence, uh, she asked me a question. She said, Pascal is so perfect. He hasn't sinned yet. When will he? And really, I think what was behind the question is, how do I stop him from doing it, from what I think I know is coming? And I thought for a minute, and I said, Annie, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. That's our fallen nature. You won't have to teach him to grab a toy from another child and say, mine. It's in there already. It just hasn't been expressed yet. You won't have to teach him to say no when he looks right at you after you've told him to do something. She didn't like that answer, but she took it. Scripture describes our world as being a spiritual battle where we are right in the midst of the two powers, the Holy Trinity and the unholy Trinity. The Holy Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that has always been and will always be. And the unholy Trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world system, our flesh, and the personal devil. This Holy Trinity is diversity unified. Three persons in one God who brings life and unity to diversity because that's who he is, diversity unified. And that's what he designed in his creation order in Genesis 1 and 2 through the power of his word. And he declared it to be very good. This life according to its kind, male and female, 
One man plus one woman equals humanity. Fit for procreation. Diversity unified to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Even the details of the very tear ducts we have are designed for an overflow of joy and delight, not an overflow of sorrow and pain. But the good gift also included free will, which we chose the unholy trinity instead, the power of darkness, which from then, from the beginning, and to today is intent upon dismantling God's good design. And we've seen this all through redemptive history, and we see it today in all sorts of ways. For example, in the area of truth, what Francis Schaeffer used to call true truth, true right and true wrong. Instead, we are persuaded to believe my truth as if I can understand and interpret reality rightly as a fallen person. Or the area of self-identity, not based on God's male-female design, but on who I feel I am, as if my feelings interpret rightly. Or the area of justice and freedom, pursuing justice and freedom, found not in lawfulness according to God's design, but lawlessness. And our human relationships, how we treat our neighbors, discerning our neighbors based not on the content of their character, but on their color and ethnicity. John says the real ultimate life has come in Jesus Christ to bring light to this darkness. And this is good news because it's this real life of Christ includes real power. Real power for transformation. Point two, transformed life, spiritual transformation. Verse 12, to all who receive him, this Jesus, who believe in his name, he gives a gift, the gift of the right to become a child of God, being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, from being a child of Adam to being a child of God. How does this happen? Verse 13, not by lineage, not by human decision, lineage born of blood. In other words, whatever family you're born into, who your parents are, if they are Christians, that doesn't necessarily mean you are. God does not have any grandchildren. He only has children. And it's not by human decision, your decision or another's decision, not the will or of flesh or the will of man, but instead this new life, becoming a child of God, this spiritual transformation happens by birth and by growth. Born of God, a phrase that is referencing a couple of chapters later when Jesus is referring to, uh, is talking with Nicodemus in chapter three, verse seven, and he says, you must be born again. You must be born from above. And then growth, the right to become a child of God. There's a process. The process begins with the gift of life, and then you participate in the growth. In other words, your spiritual life comes about like your physical life. You don't choose your physical birth. It's a gift to you. But once you're born, you're called to participate 
in your life, in growth, in your spiritual growth, and in your physical growth. You, when physically, you, when you're born, you cry, you feed, you rest, you learn to roll over and then crawl, walk, run, that process of growth. So too with spiritual growth through food and exercise. We have on our website of our church our 10 spiritual formation practices. You know, when you're born physically, most babies look like Winston Churchill, but they don't grow up to look like Winston Churchill because that's not their lineage. They grow up to look like the family traits, the family resemblance. And that's what God wants for us. He has given you life. He has given you birth in Christ. And he wants you to grow into the family resemblance of your true family through this food and exercise, spiritual food and exercise, our 10 spiritual formation practices that are all giving us founded upon God's word and giving us direction in his word. We are not to come to the information of God's word simply for the information, but for transformation into our family resemblance, into more and more Christ-likeness. Stephen Evans, a doctor of philosophy from Yale, says this, There is a gap between an intellectual recognition of who Jesus is and a commitment to him. Logically, it would seem that anyone who admits that Jesus is the Son of God should be willing to follow him and obey him. It is a truth which ought to transform lives. But in fact, there are many people who will give at least verbal assent to the proposition Jesus is God, but who do not seem to care very much about Jesus or even pay him much attention. What is necessary to become a Christian is not merely acceptance of a proposition on the basis of evidence, but a change in a person's whole orientation to life, unquote. And so the question that Christmas begs for us in 2022 is, will you let Christmas reorient and change your life? I can think of at least two ways that it will if you let it. First, in our suffering and then in our service. Suffering with comfort. Now, how would we suffer with comfort? Well, Christmas tells us God must have good reasons for our suffering. He came to earth and involved himself in horrible pain and suffering and became victor over it, and yet he still allows suffering in our lives. And so we can suffer yet with comfort because we know, we may not know the reason he continues to allow it in our lives, but we know the reason isn't that he doesn't care or he's unaware or remote or doesn't love you. If you feel disrespected or misunderstood or betrayed or in your suffering abandoned or alone, so did Jesus. He has been there, tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. If you feel like your prayers are seeming unanswered, so were his. He's been there. So we can suffer with comfort because of Christmas if we let it. 
And then in our service, we serve with sacrifice because of Christmas. When God came down in the incarnation, he got involved in the brokenness of lives with love and compassion for the fallenness and darkness of our world. Knowing that he would lose his life, he became vulnerable to death. Philippians 2 said, Jesus humbled himself and emptied himself. And now go and do likewise, followers of Christ. Children of God are to serve others with the love and compassion that we have known from our true family. Not giving ourselves so that it's just comfortable with no impact on how we live. Instead, serving with sacrifice until it's inconvenient uncomfortable, until we're vulnerable, and even until it hurts. That's what Christmas is. So Christmas asks us the question, are you living to receive, or are you living to give? Chuck Swindoll says this, Christ does not ask his followers to make a few minor adjustments or try a bit harder to be religious. His words call for radical transformation, first in thinking, next in living. He leaves no alternative, no middle ground. When he exhorts us to decide either for or against kingdom living, he expects and deserves our allegiance, our obedience, our very lives. When this finally becomes a reality in anyone's life, it is absolutely remarkable how many things are simplified, unquote. In 2022, may we simplify our lives around the one who is light and life. He'll get you through any darkness because he's already been through it himself. And that is his nature. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, you are our eternal life and light. Thank you for coming to give us life and make us your church, the light of the world. Help us live as children of light. Help us let our light shine in and through us, that light from you in thought, word, and deed. For your glory we pray. Amen.